What's up, everybody? Welcome to Lacrosse Now. That is Travis Eldridge. I am Tom Eshton. Appreciate you guys joining us, of course. We have a ton to talk about. The tournament is here. The brackets are out. Chaos is unfolding everywhere you look. Travis, what a time of year it is. It, it is the most wonderful time, isn't it? It really is, and lacrosse Twitter was lighting up on Sunday. Unlike I can rem remember in recent memory here when it comes to the selection show, obviously a lot to get to. We're going to talk about Notre Dame a little bit because and Duke not being in because we have to, but we're also going to look ahead. Some of the stories of things that are happening, that are good, that are happening in the tournament, and uh, we'll also have some great guests. Chris Gray, who's going to be a PLL draft pick here tonight. We're taping this before the PLL draft, but we talked to him about his Terrific career at North Carolina. And Janine Tucker from Johns Hopkins as well. Yeah, that, the Hopkins team getting into tournaments somehow, maybe at the expense of others. But still, when you're in, you're in. You did what you had to do, but that's where we're going to start. We'll touch on this briefly. We're not going to dwell on it. I know everybody's had yeah. their say on it. But at least we'll touch on this briefly. We don't want to get into it too deep because it is what it is at this point. The tournament field is what it is. So Notre Dame and Duke don't get in. Um, I think there was gripes for both to be able to get in. Who do you take out? I think people said Ohio State, Harvard, some of the teams that maybe they could have been replaced with. What are your thoughts, Trav? Ohio State had to be in because of what they did head-to-head. -head. Like, because no matter what analytics you're looking at in numbers, the head-to-head -head has to matter. Because otherwise, why do we play the games? So you look at what Ohio State did in their, their non-conference, and they beat Notre Dame, and they beat Harvard. So they're in like those two wins against teams that they're being compared with in that process. They have to be in when you're comparing those teams. So I have no problem with Ohio State. The Harvard being in over Notre Dame is the head scratcher to me because you look at the metrics and how long have we we've been talking about this RPI matters and all this. Well, if the RPI matters, first of all, Duke should be in. They have an RPI of seven and a strength of schedule of 13 like that is unbelievable and then Notre Dame's got an RPI of 11 a strength of schedule is 16 so why what are you penalizing Notre Dame for doing not beating Maryland or Georgetown to the top teams in the country they beat everybody else for the most part that they were supposed to this year other than Ohio State who is another tournament team so if your only losses come to tournament teams and then you take care of business in an ACC and I know the ACC wasn't what it normally is but it still has a ton of talent like let's not sugarcoat what this league still is even in a down year so they take care of business the the rest of the way and they win six in a row that has to matter and you're looking at a harvard team that i mean didn't even make the conference tournament so like what are we doing here yeah, you know, I, I think I would agree with what you're saying for the most part when it comes to metrics and you see the teams on the field, too. I think you would all I would agree with that. So I'm going to speak more of it from an emotional perspective. And I I guess I'm not entirely I, I always had thought I think Notre Dame could have won the championship. They're not in it. So, yes, I, I feel badly about that. I think a lot of people agree with that, too. But I'm not entirely upset from an emotional perspective because of, and this has nothing to do with who gets in or why they get in. But I remember that last year, the Ivy league wasn't even in this. So I know that yes, Harvard is a team that didn't make their own conference tournament. But for me, I'm happy to see them in the tournament. I know it's at the expense of Notre Dame, which stinks, but I see that Harvard's in and I'm like, you know what? Those kids didn't even get a chance last year. And this year, you know, it fell their way. They did enough in the committee's eyes to get in. So I'm emotionally, yeah, I'm upset for Notre Dame. 
But from a Harvard perspective, I'm like, you know what? These guys and these Ivy League players didn't get a chance to do any of this last year. Let's put five teams in. You know, why not? Give them the throw them a bone this year. You can, you, you can they got six. This. You can use this to get six teams in. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Six teams in. This is maybe an opportunity to change the criteria moving forward. But emotionally for me, I'm like, good for the Ivy League. You know, they didn't have a year last year. And I know it, it stinks for other teams and it's a shame and they probably shouldn't have been in. But emotionally, I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, let them play. I, no, I, I have no problem. With, like, Harvard is a good team and like yeah. them getting in, like they, they deserve. I, they, I just don't think they're as deserving as Notre Dame yeah, at the end of the I, day. I, I and, don't and disagree. And, and honestly, do we want the tournament that's going to be the most entertaining where the best team is pot, can win? Because Notre Dame's a better team, I think, than Harvard. And so if Notre Dame is not playing, then are, and a team that like actually probably can make a run of championship weekend, if they're not playing, are we eliminating a team that may be one of the best teams in the country that, that could win a championship? Um, like, if they get hot at the right time, they could win. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I think it's in Batman Begins, the first of the trilogy with Christian Bale, that he says that people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. So, unfortunately, I was thinking about this. This had to happen for any change to maybe be made. We don't know if there's going to be a change, but if there isn't going to be a change after this, there's never going to be a change. So at the very least, we wish maybe there could have been some foresight here into this happening with maybe some teams getting snubbed and they did get snubbed. Maybe this will help shake up the people that decide who's in and out and change some of that criteria. You know what the number one thing is? We don't expand the field. This isn't a field size issue. It's no. the right size, despite the fact that, like, you got good teams that aren't going to be in. It's the right size because of the number of Division One teams we have. But it's an issue of, like, are we really getting the best teams in the at-large field that are playing uh, on championship weekend? Also, the ACC can, can play in themselves. Find a sixth team. Give yourself an AQ. They were at Notre Dame or Duke or whoever who's playing good can knock off Virginia at the end of the regular season or in the tournament and get to your automatic qualifier. Find a 16. I don't know if that makes a difference here. I was thinking about that. I really don't know if an automatic qualifier would have changed anything, but that's just me. Um, I don't know. I think Notre Dame or Duke could have beaten. We saw Duke beat Virginia at the end of the year. Oh, and like, a, like you mean in like in a tournament at the end of the year? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They would get an AQ. They add a 16, you get an AQ and then, at this point, you probably, I don't know, like, does Virginia win the tournament? I don't know. If they don't win the tournament, then you get two teams in. Yeah, and with all this conference realignment happening, you would think maybe there could be an opportunity for that, but um, apparently not. Um, so we're, let's talk about, I mean, the women's bracket also had its share of issues, unfortunately. Um, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to, from what I stuck out to me, Arizona State, a team we talked about, Travis, you said, where is the love midway through the year? Where is the love? Because they get snubbed. They should have been in. They did enough, it felt like, all year. They played a very tough schedule at that as well. Arizona State snubbed and Stony Brook as well. I mean, I don't know how you see them below Florida when they go to Florida yeah. and win at Florida. And that, once again, sets Stony Brook up. And I think this is a different set of circumstances than the men's bracket, unfortunately, because a lot of this comes into travel and funding and all of that, which I think is really unfortunate. It makes no sense. Like the Stony Brook and Florida thing makes absolutely no sense. Like you have a head-to-head -head matchup and they're in a similar situation. There's no reason for Stony Brook not to be the seventh seed and Florida to be the eight. Especially like if you watch any of the any women's lacrosse all year and you look at what the media poll has been voting and the coaches poll, like Stony Brook's up there in the top hang around the top five all season. Florida's had some nice moments. Like that win against Syracuse was great, but I don't think anybody considers them a team that is like a huge contender to win the national championship. Stony Brook 
has competed against some of the best teams in the country who are top five teams who like I, I really think Stony Brook, if they get going at the right time, could be a team that could challenge for championship weekend. But not as the eight seed, like you're going to have to play North Carolina in Chapel Hill in the quarterfinals if everything goes according to plan. And that is just so hard. But the unfortunate reality for Joe Spillina and Stony Brook right now, as it stands, is it looks like they're going to have to win one of these games in the quarterfinal round in order to get the respect that they deserve. Like it's happened how many times now? It happened against Maryland uh, when they were the top seed. I think it's happened against it happened against Carolina last year. The same type of deal. Like apparently they're going to have to win one of these in the quarterfinals to get the respect they deserve. And, and it's unfortunate because a lot of the reasons for all of this, like I said before, is money. And I don't know if that should yeah. come in the way. And I think it's up to a lot of these athletic departments and up to the universities to say, yeah, you know what? We're willing to put where our money where our mouth is and fund these sports the way they should be funded. And uh, yes, but I think that that's also the reality of the situation right now. And in terms of you grow this game and you try and grow as much as you can, having teams out there with Arizona State, you know, Pac-12 teams at that, USC, Stanford is great. And, And as you continue to expand now, the money has to follow there because you have to give these teams an opportunity to compete on a national scale or else it's just kind of a token team out there. You know, it's you're playing in a conference, you're playing in a conference tournament. Now is the time where you say, okay, how do we invest to make sure this team, you know, makes our university look better at the end of the day, gives our university national prominence where maybe your other sports don't. And I, I think that that's that's the real problem for me here and that. Hopefully, maybe some of the success that some of these teams are having will start to spark that. I don't know. I mean, I try to look at some of the the, the, the profits these universities make. I know this lacrosse is not a money-making sport, but there's a lot of other money made in a lot of other places. So um, that's just me. I, I, I think that's frustrating well, that that's what it comes down to. Well, I think the unfortunate reality for like Arizona State is they're apparently looked at like a mid-major because they're so new, despite the fact that they have terrific name recognition and they play in a, a conference in the Pac-12. That is a big deal. But it felt like USC got the edge for them at the end there in the bracket because of name recognition and what USC has done as of recently, as opposed to Arizona State maybe being the better team this year. Yeah. I look at both sides of the bracket, and I think they're really interesting how it all shapes up. We'll get to that in a little bit. But let's get back to yep. the men's side of things, Travis. And um, some of the things for you that stick out in terms of this field and this year in 2022. All right. So I have a compiled a list. This is like Tom's top things oh, that we did that a, a, great a month or so ago. I know you're very excited about that list. I've got Travis's tourney team tale. So the, the stories of some of these teams that are in the tournament that I think are, are some of the most intriguing as we look ahead to this weekend. Because we're going to break down some of the matchups coming up on Thursday's show. But I just want to get a feel for like the stories that are, I think, the coolest entering this first round. And, I mean, let's start with a team that I just saw in uh, the CAA championship. And it's Delaware's Redemption. I mean, think about this Blue Hens program. Like, last year felt like it was supposed to be their year. They were a top 20 team for most of the season. They had some nice results in the non-conference. They were uh, cruising through CAA play. They're the top seed in the conference tournament. And all of a sudden, they get shocked by Hofstra in the semis. And like that, all the positives about this Blue Hens program just go out the door because they don't make the tournament. They don't even make the CAA championship game. And like all these, all this team that felt 
good. Like it felt like they could challenge somebody in the NCAA tournament with the offense that was at that point led by Charlie Kitchen and it had Mike Robinson and Ty, Ty Curse. You got an all-American defenseman and Owen Grant. It felt like that was a team that could challenge somebody and they don't get that chance because they slip up in the semis. But they come back this year and they lose their first two games in CAA play. So they're backs against the wall for the rest of the conference season. They have to win out, essentially, if they want to make sure they're in the tournament. Well, they do. They uh, stave off a couple of one-goal games, a two-goal win against Fairfield to clinch somehow the top seed out of nowhere because of some things happened last week, the regular season. And now they're playing their best lacrosse because I have not seen Delaware play better than they did this weekend in a long time. They just destroyed Drexel. They toasted uh, Towson in the championship game. This team is legit. And we mentioned some of the pieces they have back. They've replaced uh, Charlie Kitchen with J.P. Ward, who had a terrific game in that semifinal against Drexel. Mike Robinson can score six or seven goals in just about any game he plays. Ty Kurtz is the same way. So you've got lots of pieces offensively. And then defensively, like, they got guys. Owen Grant is an All-American defenseman. He's going to play in the PLL when his college career is over. He's that good. So you got him there. Matt Kilkiri has started to play well in cage. The, the grads, the fifth-year guy in goal, I don't. I know they got to play in the playing game first. They got Robert Morris coming up on Wednesday. But if I'm Georgetown and Delaware wins that game, this Delaware team, I don't know if they can win, but they can hang with the Hoyas because they have some guys and they've got the offense. I think that can get enough quality looks that can score some goals to make it interesting and put some pressure on Georgetown's offense at the other end. So I, I hope we get that game because I really do think this Delaware team, unlike last year that maybe peaked too early, I think Ben DeLuca has this team peaking at the right time. I think they played enough tough games, too. I think they learned a lot from yeah. their season, maybe more so than For sure. the other teams in the field. You know, And I think they weren't a fluky team at the end, like you said, either. They were playing some of their best lacrosse at the right time. I don't really agree with you that they're going to give Georgetown a game. But Robert Moore I think they will. A team that people didn't think were going to come out of their conference either. You know, At the end of the day, that might be a better matchup than maybe Utah was for, um, for Delaware. Yeah. If that's how it would have shaken out. So, yeah, I think that Delaware is a nice story. It's going to be an uphill battle but they get Georgetown instead of Maryland so that's another nice little that's a win they get another different kind of playing game and I just think Georgetown's really good nothing against Delaware I think Georgetown that's is, fair uh, head and shoulders above the rest so yeah Delaware a nice a nice finish to their season and uh, it'll be fun watching them tomorrow against Robert Morris for sure they haven't played each other since I think 2009 I saw so it's been a yeah. while since they've competed but so that that's what makes the tournament so fun too for sure. All right. Let's uh, let's see if you agree more with me on my second story here. My ta Travis's tourney team tales. Uh, let's go. How about Lars Tiffany? <laughs> it does. How about Lars Tiffany returning to Brown to face the Bears who are in the NCAA tournament for the first time since Lars Tiffany took them to the final <laughs> four in 2016. The tourney, the turn, uh, the, the committee didn't do a lot that a lot of people were, were liking with leaving Notre Dame and Duke out of the, the tournament here this year. But how can you not love this matchup? I mean, talk about storylines galore for this. Uh, the fact that he's back is a big deal, Lars Tiffany. But also don't forget that Sean Kerwin was at Brown, was at, excuse me, at Tufts with Mike Daly, then came to Brown with Lars Tiffany. He's the one that brought that offense that put Lars Tiffany on the map at Brown and, and Dylan Malloy going off and Larkin Camp, the long poles running and, and gunning in transition. That's Sean Kerwin who brought that from his former head coach and when he was an assistant uh, and a player at Tufts, he brought that to Brown and then took it to Virginia. So it's like, talk about storylines. Daly, Kerwin, Tiffany, they're all connected. And we all have this in the first round uh, battle. 
I mean, just unbelievable stuff. I, you couldn't have scripted a better matchup in the first round. No, and, and I think if we know Lars Tiffany, we know he might not come out and say any of that, but he seems as nostalgic as they come with that stuff. He appreciates history, whether it's at Virginia or, of course, his own history at Brown, and he gets it. So I think that for him, going to Brown here is going to be um, – there's going to be some feelings, I think. You know, he's for sure. a little nostalgic when he steps on the field, and his guys will know that too. It's You know, these guys know him, and it's a veteran-laden squad. Obviously, we're very successful. I don't know how that plays into how they'll perform, but I think in terms of story, it's great. And like you said, you love this matchup, Brown and Virginia. Maryland doesn't. So that is Maryland. Well, that's, I'm going like to get to that in a second. I know. Maryland doesn't like that, that matchup no. at, at all as Brown, the eight seed, Virginia um, as the unseeded team there. That is not what Maryland wanted to see. I know that. No, for sure. All right. So that brings me to my next one. And I, Kark said this, I think, on the, the tournament broadcast. If you're Maryland and you have Virginia possibly waiting in the quarterfinals, is there another team in this field, maybe other than Georgetown, that you don't want to see other than Virginia? I mean, they have been the team that has been in your way for how many years now? Like it was you go back to the, the uh, 2019 quarterfinal, the goal that was counted that probably shouldn't have counted for Virginia that gets them over the, the top into the final four and they win the title. And then last year in the championship game, once again, it's Virginia waiting in their way. Cavs take the national championship. So if you're Maryland, you're saying, wait a minute. I have to play them after all I've done this year. I may have to play them in the quarterfinals to get over the, the hump and, and get back to championship weekend. That is a nightmare for Maryland. Now, this team might be different, and maybe this is like what they need in order to get over the hump and get back to championship weekend and, and finish the job this year for the first time since 2017. But, man, talk about like a brutal draw. Like anybody else in the field, put, give me the quarterfinal matchup. Maybe even Georgetown. Virginia, like I mean, and the fact, and honestly, some, it's kind of hard that we may not get, we can't get both Maryland and Virginia in the Final Four because that feels like another Final Four matchup that you would want. Because I, despite what happened in the regular season, I really do feel like the second time around, this would be a very different game. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I almost think that it hurts Maryland that they already played yes. Virginia and beat them. If they had not played this year. I would say Maryland might win this game by five, six goals because of all the things you just said. But they already played. Maryland already got that out. You know, I don't know. Like, it might be a closer game. I think Maryland, the way they're playing, should win. But it's, I think it's going to be a lot closer than the first time because if they had all that behind them, like you just said, all the motivations, all that bad blood, they already got all that stuff out in that first regular season, in the regular season game. Now right. they got to meet him again, and you got to drum up all that once again. It's like, can you do it again in the same way? Now you could still win, but maybe not as um, convincingly as they did in the regular season against a Virginia team that, as we know, has as much talent as anybody in the country. And at their peak, they know what to playing, do. If they're playing well, like they can give anybody a game and they can make their own run. They know and, and they know what to do this time of year. From the ACC. <laughs> That's it. That too. And, and they know what to do this time of year. Like this is, this is when they always, the, the last two times, they haven't been the best team in the country going into the tournament. Like they've been overlooked both the, the last two years we've had a champion and somehow it's Virginia at the end that's winning a title. So it's, it, it just feels like that matchup and, and maybe it is the matchup. Like if Maryland wins, maybe that's when we know that they are the team that, that we think that they could be in They're They're the, the title, uh, their team that's going to win the title. But uh, I don't know, man, that's a tough matchup. And like you said, like to beat them that handily in the regular season, I think almost hurts you because you feel so confident 
going into the second meeting, knowing how easy it was the first time around. Yeah, I mean, they got, I, I think Maryland's <laughs> side of the bracket is much harder than the other side, personally. To get to the I agree. The road to their championship is tough, but then we can't forget what they did in the regular. I think a lot of times you look at the bracket, oh, that's tough, but well, Maryland dominated everybody. The only team they didn't dominate isn't in the tournament. So is, did, did, does everything change now or is it going to continue? That's the big question as we move forward here. All right, uh, let's move on to another uh, story here. How about finally, the Hawks flying into the tournament. St. Joe's finally is in the NCAAs. I mean, you look back at this. Six of the last eight seasons, St. Joe's has been the regular season champion in the NAC. Six of the last eight seasons, if you include this year. This is the first time they've made the NCAA tournament. That means they've won, they've won five NEC regular season titles mm. ta- under head coach Taylor Ray, and they haven't completed the job in the NEC tournament. I am so happy. Like, nothing against uh, the other teams in the NEC, but I am so happy for Taylor Ray because you could tell when I talked to him in March, and I've brought this up before, you could tell when I talked to him in March before that Drexel game that, like, the end-of-season struggles were weighing on him. Because he knew what it would mean to the program to finally get there. Because doing it in the regular season is great, but you, you you make your money and you make your name when you get to May. And they finally got it done on the biggest stage for the conference tournament. And now they finally get to pay play May, May lacrosse here in the NCAAs. And I could not be happier for them. I, it's such an awesome story for them to make it. And they're a good team. And remember, with the face-off advantage they're likely going to have, they could give some people some fits just knowing that they're going to have possessions and they've got a good offense. Yeah, it's really appropriate that at the last time we see the NEC, at least for now, sponsor the cross. Yeah. The regular season champion is actually the real champion. Finally does it. I thought it was kind of ironic and that the NEC isn't going to have, we just saw that report come out, they're not going to have the cross in 2023 with realignment going on. So St. Joe's does it and they got Yale. So I think that'll, like you said, Yale traditionally good at faceoff. We'll see if that really comes into play for St. Joe's. I will say too, if you watch that conference tournament, the NEC, I thought Hobart was really going to give St. Joe's a problem after what Hobart did to Bryant in the first semifinal. Hobart was out of this world, and then St. Joe's comes back, holds them to seven goals. To me, that's yeah. big time in terms of what St. Joe's is made of, knowing the history behind it, too. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, quite frankly, I was surprised Bryant got beat up like that. That's not something you're used to seeing. So I think it says a lot about Hobart, what they did in the semis. Yeah. And I think for St. Joe's, it needed to be comfortable in the championship because as soon as it's a one goal game late, you start thinking about the past and the history and what's on the line. Not so again. for them to go out there, yeah, for them to go out there and take care of business early, give themselves a comfortable lead and hold on, I think it was a big deal. Yeah, they got the four seed Yale in their first round. Good luck. <laughs> you never know. But the face-off X, they've, they've got it. I think they, they have advantage at the face-off X over everybody. It is a big, big week for the Ivy League. I'll just say that. There's a lot of pressure on this Ivy League to have a nice showing in the first round. There's going to be a lot of people that are happy and a lot of people that are pretty upset about what happened over the course of last weekend. Well, let's stay with the Ivy League because another team that's playing an Ivy League team is BU. Yes. And it's the Terriers' time finally well, here in every, the Patriot almost League. Almost everybody is, Traps. <laughs> almost everyone's playing an Ivy League team. <laughs> that's true. You're right. There's six of them in the field. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, so Princeton, BU. I, I want to talk about BU because obviously we know the regular season. We'll break that down more on Thursday, the matchup. Uh, second time these two teams will play this year. But for the Terriers, it wasn't too long ago that I think it was 2016, they were going into the final week of the regular season of the Patriot League, and they had to beat their rival, Holy Cross, 
in order to make the Patriot League tournament. And that would have been for the first time in program history. And they lost. It was a dark Friday night. They lost to Holy Cross and a team that had, had a little bit of hope early on. It was really their first good run as a, as a program. And it felt like they were going to be a postseason team. And they weren't in the Patriot League tournament because of what happened there at the end. They got redemption the next year by beating Holy Cross and finding their way into the tournament. But that wasn't that long ago. So now they're not only in the Patriot League tournament hosting it for the first time, but they finished the job and they beat big. They beat everybody in the conference to do it. They beat everybody but Army in the regular season, so they knock off the likes of Loyola and Navy and Lehigh, and then they beat Army in the championship game convincingly, I may add. So they took down everybody, and I think it's a statement not only to the program, like, hey, we're here, we've arrived as an NCAA tournament team for the first time, but it's a statement to the league saying, we're not going anywhere. Like, Ryan Pulley's the only head coach in this program's history, and I give him a lot of credit. He has built this program from the ground up and has built them into a contender and has a formula, I think, that should work long term. Like, it's not like this is just a, a group of a, a star or two or a, a great faceoff guy that then has like led to success. They are a deep team that has talent all up and down the field. And look, I know they lost the regular season matchup to Princeton, but they're a team that I do not want to play. No, and, and I don't want to look too deeply into this matchup, but, you know, I thought they'd been consistent all year long, and I don't know if a lot of people expected that from BU after the great start they got off to. So they ended up finishing the job at the end of the day, and I think it's a really important note that some teams have that flash in the pan or what everybody's talking about, and unfortunately, that was Jacksonville this year. I mean, they had that yep. great season. It was a great step for their program this year, Jacksonville. You can say that for sure, but that for them, they weren't able to finish it at the end of the day and, and win their conference tournament. BU was able to do that and I will say they only scored seven goals against Princeton the first time Princeton's defense hasn't looked that good since then they have given up a You're lot right. of goals that's not going to happen again I'm not predicting this one yet but I'll just say that I don't think it's going to go the same way in terms of BU scoring just seven goals against Princeton who has not looked as good defensively since that day I'm glad you compared him to Jacksonville because that is the feeling it's like okay they not only got here where they have the home field advantage and they have the top seed, but they finished the job because for so many programs, that's the hardest part is it's not just getting there, but it's then finishing the job in the conference tournament. BU does it on their first try when they uh, with the top seed. So I, I think that's a this is a huge step in the right direction. And a team that's not just happy to be here, a team that feels like they can contend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it's going to be fun to see what they can do in that first round game against Princeton. That's Princeton BU. Princeton, the five seed BU gets that. I think that's about right for their seating. Um, yeah. It's, um, it's one ahead, I think, of Harvard. So um, I got one behind Harvard. Is, and Harvard has um, the advantage there. So, yeah. Um, are those your all of your things, Travis? Or any, anything else? That, that those you know, take those are all my... Those are all my tourney tales uh, teams that I just I'm I, good feel good stories as we go into the tournament stuff that'll be positive coming out of the tournament selection committee that uh, we, we haven't heard a lot of. So some good things happening as well. Um, but uh, another team that's not in the tournament is uh, North Carolina, another ACC team that didn't make it. They weren't on the bubble. They, they struggled here down the stretch, which meant the end of. Chris Gray's career. But earlier today, I had a chance to catch up with Chris Gray, now the NCAA's all-time leader in career points. So we're now joined by North Carolina's Chris Gray. Uh, at this point that we're taping, it's a soon-to-be PLL draft pick. By the time you're listening to this, probably will be a PLL draft pick. Uh, Chris, first, we got to talk about your North Carolina career. Obviously, you set the career points records here in NCAA lacrosse. 
that moment a couple of weekends ago, what goes through your mind when you set the record? It was tough because uh, I think at that point, you know, we were kind of down by a lot late in the fourth, um, kind of coming to terms with that we weren't really going to be moving forward if we didn't win that game. Um, but I mean, it was a really cool moment just because I was able to kind of embrace um, embrace the moment with the guys on on my offense. Um, you know, they all came over. We had a big huddle and it was just a, just to see how much they really cared and how happy they were for me, I think, was definitely the, the coolest part. Yeah, I thought that was really cool because you mentioned the moment. It was like everybody recognized it. Was it in the back of your mind? Like, did you know how many points you needed and how many you had? Like, it was was it all there? I would say I wouldn't say no because I'd be lying. But you know, a lot of people were texting me. You know, like good luck, go get it. But honestly, at the end of the day, it wasn't really about that. I was really just trying to go out there and um, do whatever I could to help the team win. And if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. Um, really wanted to come away with the win and that didn't happen. But um, like I said, it was just a cool moment to embrace that with the guys that were really responsible for it. Um, you know, the guys on the offense. Before we get to more on the record, let's talk about your team, because obviously you guys get all the way to championship weekend last year and you come so close. And then this year doesn't go according to plan. Like, How do you diagnose what went on for you guys this year with a bunch of young pieces trying to fill in some roles that you guys had guys lead? I think it was, you know, just a combination of lo losing a lot of key guys. Um, obviously, when you lose Justin Anderson, um, Will Perry and Tanner Cook at your midfield who have been starting since freshman year, there's going to be like a transition period. Um, but we had a lot of young guys play. But I was honestly really happy with how, um, you know, we battled. Obviously, we didn't have the, the best result that we wanted in the end, but we fought each week and we kind of stuck together. And I think that's the most important thing. Obviously, we want to be playing and, you know, want to win. But I think the way we kind of just stuck with it and did everything we could was uh, was pretty cool. How hard is it for you to be like on, in your last year on campus, but knowing that maybe for some of these guys, this is a step where North Carolina gets back to where you guys just were because of what happened this year. But for you, this is it. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool because I love the guys on the team so much and just seeing how much young talent is on the team. I mean, from the freshmen, I've never played with a, a more talented freshman class. So I know they're, the, the team's going to be in great hands and the sophomores and juniors who are ready to lead are, are great players and great people. So I know we're leaving it in great hands and uh, I'm really excited just to watch from afar next year. So now that you can kind of step back and know that the career's over, you set the all-time record. I mean, you put your name ahead of Lyle Thompson and Rob Pennell, two of the greatest to ever do this in this game. Hey, how do you comprehend being in that same kind of conversation in the same breath? I think that's the coolest part is just being mentioned um, with so many amazing, great players, um, guys like Lyle Thompson and Rob Pennell, who have really shaped the game to, to what it's become today. Just to be acknowledged and mentioned alongside them, forget the record, is is more than enough. Um, those are two players that I look up to specifically and who I've loved watching. So definitely a really cool feeling. What was the coolest tweet, Instagram message, text that you got after? There was a lot of cool ones. I'm sure I'll forget some. Um, uh, Rob Pinnell, got hearing from him and guys like Casey Powell. Or, that's always really cool. Just like, like I said, two guys that I've always watched growing up and um, some legends in the game. So it was definitely a really cool experience. I mean, what do you say back to like Rob Pinnell when he says, hey, congrats on having more points than I did in my college career? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really, I was more just like a congratulations. Yeah. It's cool to see how much, you know, they care and how much they follow lacrosse. So like I said, two great players and um, guys I've looked up to. So it meant a lot. So let's look forward because for you, like you've got a lacrosse career ahead of you professionally and you'll find out where you're going to play uh, later on tonight in the PLL draft. What do you hope to accomplish with your professional lacrosse career? 
just the opportunity to keep playing is so amazing. I think, you know, a while ago, college used to be the last step for a lot of guys. So seeing what the league's become and how big it's growing and how big it's becoming is awesome. And I think to your point, I just want to kind of be on a team and help them win in, in any way that I can, whether it's playing MIDI, playing attack. Um, just at the end of the day, the opportunity to play and, and help a team win is what I'm looking for. Is there a defenseman you are looking forward to or I guess not looking forward to going up against in the PLL? Like, is there somebody you want? I mean, I think that's that's the hardest question to answer because there's just so much talent in the league and every, you're playing with the best of the best and everyone wants to win and everyone wants to be the best. So I think that's the most exciting part is that each week you're playing the best and um, you know, you're never going to have a mismatch or anything like that. It's, it's just going to be a lot of hard work and I'm looking forward to it. Knowing that you had one year of the NIL stuff where you could kind of start to do what some guys have been doing now professionally for years. Like, is that something you're looking to continue now as a professional? Definitely. I think the NLI, it was, it was definitely a really cool time to be a student athlete. Um, just getting to kind of use your name and do different things is, it was, a, it was a new time, but it, it was really interesting. I had a great time with it. I was able to kind of partner with two great lacrosse brands in Lacrosse Unlimited and STX and um, definitely looking to keep that going with them. There are some amazing people over there that I've been able to meet. So I've uh, been really fortunate. So luckily for you, you are going to play some more lacrosse this summer with the PLL. But normally this is when, you know, kind of the second season starts. At, outside of the tournament, can you watch here in May? Like, I, I can't imagine it's, it, it's easy to watch. Yeah, it's definitely not easy, but uh, I mean, I have so many friends on different teams that I'm really looking forward to watching and just kind of being a fan. Um, so definitely, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm always going to watch lacrosse, whether I'm in it or not, but uh, definitely a lot of a lot of my friends that I'm looking forward to watching. I like that because there's some people, you know, like they lose in like in the end and it's like, I need to step away. But that's like, I feel like that's a that's a cool way to look at it. And it shows just how much you probably love the sport. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you think of it, like guys like Alex Trippi and Will Bowen, who are two of my best friends from UNC, they're obviously at Georgetown now. Um, who They're a great team, and I'm looking forward to kind of watching them. And I've been talking to them recently and just really excited to see them play. So who do you like? You, you've seen a bunch of these teams. You guys have played Brown, and obviously you know plenty about Georgetown. Like, who do you like? It can really go any way, in my opinion. I mean, obviously Maryland's great. Um, all the Ivies are great. There's a lot of ACC teams that are great, like Virginia. So. Uh, Really just looking forward to watching a bunch of great lacrosse. All right, Chris. Well, uh, good luck here tonight. Uh, we know we're going to hear your name called probably pretty early here in the PLL draft. So congrats on that uh, before it even happens. And congrats on an incredible career. It was a lot of fun to watch and can't wait to see you once again this summer. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate it. Always great hearing from Chris Gray. He's been on several times over the years and always really nice with his time as well. Very authentic guy and always always brings it, it feels like. He's got a good perspective. For sure. Maybe a future in commentating. And, of course, the PLL draft is tonight. So I'm sure he'll be on the camera a lot in the next couple of years in one way or another. Paging Art yeah, and, <laughs> and I think his, uh, his name can be called pretty early tonight. I'm sure people listening probably already know where he is, but I have a feeling it's one or two. Yeah, oh, good good call. Him or Matt Moore. Anyway, uh, yeah. let's move Anyway, on. all right, move on. Women's side of things, Travis, you had some uh, takeaways and nice stories for the men. What sticks out about that women's bracket for you? Let's start it off. So I've got three things here from the women's bracket. Okay. Let's start with uh, one of the top seeds, and that's Northwestern. And Northwestern won by Syracuse losing because you look at how things fell in terms of seeding. And Northwestern slides into the top four despite losing in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament to Rutgers. And I think the only reason they're still in the top four is because Syracuse 
also lost in their conference tournament. Because I get the feeling if Syracuse goes on, maybe loses to Boston College in the ACC semis like many people expected them to, and now the seedings fell, I don't think, I think Syracuse gets the edge because of Northwestern losing to Rutgers. Despite the head-to-head, I do think Syracuse would have gotten the edge there. But because Syracuse also lost in unexpected fashion, Northwestern, no matter what happened, I think won in this situation. And if everything holds according to plan, it's Northwestern that gets that home game instead of Syracuse. Which, as we know, it is a very difficult place to play out there in Evanston, Illinois. Indoors, outdoors, yeah. it's like either or. And, and they've ended Syracuse's seasons in the past. We've seen that, I know, went the other way last year. But, um, of, of course, that was a whole different story. That, to me, I mean, that bracket isn't that tough. And you, when you talk about the seeding, I almost think that Northwestern dodged a bullet here in Syracuse. If you're the three seed, I guess we'll start with the three seed BC. That's a tough bracket. You've got Denver in there. Yeah. You've got Loyola as the six seed, who Loyola could be a, a top four seed. And, and, and if they didn't play in the Patriot League, which wasn't as hot this year as it has been in the past. So that's a dangerous bracket for a better seeded team in BC. And then you got Maryland, who is the two seed. You get a gift of Johns Hopkins or Duke in your first round game. Talk about the Maryland men having to get Virginia or Brown. You've got either a conference foe in Johns Hopkins or a Duke team that can score 20 like this in your first round. So I, sorry, I can't snap my left hand. Yeah, but you yeah, get the idea. Okay. But yes. like, the seating, like you said, for Northwestern, it's almost like they fit right in there in a nice little slot. Yeah, you'd have to play North Carolina in the Final Four, but you got to get there first. So getting right. there for them could be a better road than maybe some of the other teams have. Yeah, I completely agree. And you hit on Loyola, which brings me to one of my other uh, points and things that stick out from this women's bracket, and that's don't sleep on the Dukes from James Madison. They play UConn in the opener. That's a rematch of a game that was played in the regular season. It was at USA Cross headquarters, and it's the game that it felt like kind of triggered JMU to like wake up this mm. season because they had had a couple of head scratching games earlier in the year. They beat UConn, and then they it propelled them. They went on a winning streak. They knocked off Maryland. They knocked off, uh, I believe, Virginia. They, like, got cruising, and obviously they then cruised in the CAA, weren't able to play in the conference tournament. But it was that stretch that started with that win over UConn that put this team in the tournament to begin with. So if JMU can get by UConn again, that matchup for Loyola, and I I really do like Loyola, Loyola, but JMU is unfazed. They're playing their best lacrosse at the right time, and they will not be phased by a matchup against the Greyhounds. I think that's a tough matchup early on for Loyola, despite the fact that they have a six seed. Yeah, and then you got Molly Doherty in goal for JMU. To me, that is the X factor, and we've seen what goalies can do and get hot at the right time in this tournament. And if Molly Doherty can do that, as she did the last time we saw JMU make that run, 2018 was when they won it all. She was outstanding as a freshman. Yeah, she was. she's still on the team, and she's gotten better each year. She's been consistent, if, if, as, if anything else. So, yeah, if she can go and, and get, you know, 15, 16 saves against a Loyola team that's going to come for them, then, yeah, and, and if, if JMU you can score enough, I think that would have to be the combination to win that possible matchup with Loyola, too. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do think I, I think that's a, a tough draw, um, and I, I will be interested to see. Can JMU, even if they don't win, I think that's a test early on and not an easy game for Loyola. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. Uh, my last uh, t- thing uh, that stands out here from the bracket, don't sleep on this St. Joe's Hawks team. Okay. The Hawks got to the uh, NCAA tournament because of what they did in the Atlantic 10 tournament. 
where they knocked off two top 20 teams in back-to-back games, knocking off Richmond for the second consecutive year in the semifinals, and then knocking off UMass in the championship. By the way, UMass is a team that gets the gets an at-large despite losing in the A-10 yeah. uh, final game to St. Joe's. And they're led by the uh, conference's offensive player of the year, Lauren Fergura, and she is unbelievable. The St. Joe's offense spreads you out, and if you don't play zone, if you go woman-to-woman defense, they'll spread you out, and they've got athletes galore that throughout that entire A-10 tournament, they got any shot they wanted. Lauren Fagora, one of them. She lit up the tournament, was uh, the, the best, most outstanding player of the A-10 tournament, deservingly so, scored double-digit goals over the course of the three games. She was terrific. So look out for the St. Joe's Hawks team. They are getting hot at the right time. They had a whole week to rest because that A-10 tournament happened uh, last weekend, not this past weekend. And so I uh, keep an eye on that that matchup uh, for St. Joe's. I don't know how if they can make any type of run, but I'm just curious to see what they look like in the tournament because they played really, really well and were really impressive in the A-10 uh, tournament in the semis and final especially yeah and Rutgers playing at home you know they've been a great team a really good not a great but a great a good team all year long but they get that home tournament Big Ten and yeah you got a lot behind that with beating Northwestern um, in that semifinal so I think there was a lot behind that they they hung with Maryland for a little while in the Big Ten but Maryland of course pulled away there in the second half so yeah I think Rutgers is a good club but I don't think they're immune to a team that's playing like you said Travis their best lacrosse of the season so um, this is an opportunity for St. Joe's and yeah if you go out there and win a tournament game you, you got a possible matchup with a Drexel or Stony Brook after that too which maybe if depending on what can happen in that game you never know well, and that's and that section of the bracket's really fascinating because obviously Rutgers, I think, had their best game of the year beating Northwestern. But we've seen them; they lost to Arizona State at home. So you mentioned they're not immune to that. And then you see the the Stony Brook section. Like, I mean, that opening round matchup, Stony Brook Drexel, just another little nice move by the selection committee, matching up two soon-to-be CAA teams against each other in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I obviously had Drexel over the weekend, and they're they're very experienced, which gives them a lot of an advantage this time. Like, they've they they took them a while, this group, but the last two years yeah. have been unbelievable for Drexel in terms of where they've brought their program. The next threshold, they already got that in winning the CAA. And now the next thing is trying to win an NCAA tournament game, something they were in the tournament last year. They didn't win the first round game, so they're going to try and come back and do it this year. They've got a very dynamic offense. They've got a good goalie in Zoe Bennett. They've got some really athletic defenders. So, I mean, Stony Brook has all those things, too. <laughs> we know that for sure. It's just going to be a test for them, I think, the, the start and maybe one of the more difficult tests they could face before they end up playing some of these big wigs in, in the next couple rounds. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you, you mentioned Hopkins, and they have a possible matchup with Maryland in the second round, their rival. It's the last run for Janine Tucker, and you had a chance to catch up with the Hopkins head coach leading into her final NCAA tournament uh, here coming up this year. So Janine does join us now. Congratulations. I'm sure it had to be so cool. The video was awesome. Uh, Take us inside for the celebration. It was insane in there, right? It was, we went from pure stress to pure joy in a matter of a few seconds. And I think that video just shows um, just how much we wanted to stay together as a team. And so I was just thrilled from my squad and you could just see the excitement. And now we get to work. How sure were you? Like, what was the positive? Like, what was the feeling going into the night? Obviously, you had to wait until the very end, the last uh, section of the bracket there. 
We sure did. But to be honest, you know, I've been doing this a long time and we've had a lot of those ups and downs and with an RPI at 15 and our strength of schedule and our body of work, I, you know, I really felt, I felt good, but you never in those scenarios feel like, you know, exactly what's going to happen because stranger things have happened. So I felt like a lot of the things added up, but I truly just wanted to see our name pop up in the hopes that the committee felt that our body of work was good enough too. Yeah, uh, I mean, your team put together a really nice season, like you said. It was so cool to watch and see the upperclassmen for you guys because I know it probably rang. Obviously, you have, you've have you brought in everybody that's there, but those upperclassmen have been with you through some things over the years, too. You know, what was it like to sort of see some of those players, you know, step up and Shelby Harrison, Madison McPherson, you know, some of those that, that came, you know, it's almost a year defense. Everybody else is to be leaders in your program this year. Oh my gosh, it's been absolutely amazing and makes my heart really happy. And I just feel that our growth this whole year over this spring has been something I've been really pleased with. So we had a lot of pieces to kind of figure out. We graduated some really key players. We had an entirely new offense. We've had to move people to different positions and ask them to step up. And they did so gladly for what was best for the team. And that just goes to show kind of the unselfish you know, culture we have here and that we just want to make each other look good. So those leaders that came back my four fifth years for them to come back and give me another year in this very special year, my last year of coaching collegiately, I, I just, they mean the world to me. And then for my seniors, juniors, all the way down through my freshmen, what a joy this group has been, but we're not done yet. And we're still growing and we're still figuring ourselves out and we're still, you know, taking the losses on the chin and figuring out what we need to do differently and enjoying all the wins. So I just am very, very excited and anxious for Friday. Have you been able to enjoy them? Did you enjoy them a little bit more this year, kind of knowing that this was it? You know what? To be honest, I did. I feel like every kid that came into my office, every time I'm coaching them out on the field, like they had like an extra special glow about them, or I was just that much more focused and intent in my interactions with my team. And I think I've known in my heart and my soul, like this was my last year. And I told myself when I announced it to my team, I was like, we are going to enjoy every minute we have together. And I do feel that it's been a little extra special. And I feel like I've, I've just, it's been a little more purposeful, intentional, um, meaningful, only because I know that that chapter is going to be closing. Um, so we've kind of been doing everything we've done for 29 years, but it just had a little extra spice to it this year, I think. And I'm sure there's been there's some of those reminders of why you do it that maybe ring true even more, right? Even like they might not make you change your mind, but at the same time, you're like, oh, this is this is what I'm going to miss so much, right? Oh. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I've only cried twice so far um, and I'm happy to share, you know, the one time was when my brother texted me before we played Ohio State, which was going to be my last game on Homewood Field. And he said, you know, Janine, we're so proud of you. And I want you to know that mom and dad are proud of you. And both my mom and dad have passed away. So that was it for me, like right before the game. Thank God I had waterproof mascara on before that game. So I did shed some tears there because I knew that they, my parents loved that I was a coach. They loved it. My dad's nickname, I don't think my sons, Ryan and Devin, even know his first name. His nickname wasn't granddad or grandpa, it was coach. And my mom was lovey. So they adored having the team dinners, having the teams over and being involved in my coaching career. When, when Devin popped out, I was coaching um, and he was eight days old. And my mom was on the bus with me when we were playing field hockey at the time in October. 
So it's just been that kind of a family affair. And then the other time was I was doing an interview with um, Ed Lee from the Baltimore Sun. And this was just a couple Mondays ago. It was actually right before Ohio State. And he said, what are you going to miss? And what came out of my, my heart was what really hit me. Um, and oh my God, I started bawling and poor Ed, I think was just totally traumatized. Like, coach, are you okay? I'm like, it's okay, Ed, give me a minute. But um, what I realized is that I have had the, the pleasure and the joy of being a part of putting 29 years worth of recruiting classes, young women, bringing them together from all over the country, all over the world. We have some international players as well. And watching them over those four years grow and lean into each other and bond and become a part of each other's lives. And then beyond that, in each other's weddings, they're for each other when they're having babies, they're for each other when they're having personal struggles or needing, a, you know, a, a, an uplifting voice or, or person to kind of go to. And that made me cry. So that was where I felt like I am going to really miss being a part of the recruiting process of getting to know these young women and their families, bringing them to Hopkins with my coaching staff and watching them grow into people that I know will be in their lives forever. So that did make me a bit sad, but I quickly got myself back together and I'm realizing that in this next chapter, I still can be hopefully a part of using the sport to bring people together and be meaningful, you know, in each other's lives. Have you had any moments this season? You know, we talked obviously right before the season started and um, you had shared with me some moments you had. Obviously, you lost your father recently with that and, and COVID and all that. But you had shared some spiritual moments, a connection over the course of this season. Did you feel like you said, you know, as the coach, did you feel maybe his voice or his presence at a, a certain time over the course of the season? Oh my gosh. Well, I had a full blown conversation with Bob Scott at literally staying in front of his statue before that Ohio state game. I do feel, I feel like at our Ohio state game and I feel like our Penn state game, I was having those kind of conversations with Diane, um, who I think I shared with you is somebody that I try to channel um, when I'm on the sidelines, my mom and dad, for sure. Just kind of that, come on, mom, give me a little bit of an extra something, you know? Um, spiritual moments i think it's it's more kind of like the energy that i was drawing from my team but also from the really important people in my life that i just wanted to make proud so i wanted bob scott to be proud of me for you know him taking a, a chance on me when i was a young coach i obviously want my mom and dad to be proud of me i want diane to be really proud of what i'm doing and how i'm influencing my players and and quite frankly i want my my coaching staff and my players to be proud that we're in this together. So I do feel like I had those moments. A lot of those moments came like when I was laying in bed and reflecting on either a game or a practice or a moment with one of my girls um, where I, when I'm home kind of, and it's quiet. And I felt myself this year doing even more of that. Just that quiet time that I would have, whether it's making dinner or just having a Sunday to get laundry done. What was on my heart and on my mind was my team. And, you know, where sometimes in years past, I would have been able to maybe like take a break and focus on what I needed to do around the house or whatever. It all kept creeping in this year. And I think that's also what's made it, you know, really meaningful for me. Yeah. And I'm sure that's been passed on and reciprocated on both sides of the athletes, right? That they can feel oh, that those energies, whether I, they know it or not, right? There's no doubt. They, they make my day on the regular. And, you know, I had a couple kids just out of the blue, just come into my office and just give me a hug you know, and I'm looking at them and they're like, just because, and then they walk out and they go keep doing their studying. And I'm like, 
how have I been so lucky? Um, you know, like just such incredible humans that we are blessed to coach. And I will tell you, it's, it's not always easy. You know, you've got, when I have a roster of 41 kids and I've got kids who show up every day at practice and put their heart and soul into it, but they might not see that playing time. So what is the connection there? What are they really drawn to? How can we keep taking care of them as young women? How are they continuing to support the players whose numbers are called? And then you have those kids who have earned those starting spots and they have to stay humble and hungry and understand that there are players right behind them who are ready to come in at a split second if they are faltering or if they need that support. So coaching is not easy. It is the best job that I know I'll ever have um, because of some of the hard stuff because of the growth that you see, you know, over all those years and watching a freshman really come into her own at the end of the season or as a sophomore, as a junior, or sometimes as a senior or fifth year where they earn that opportunity to get on that field. It's awesome. It's just not easy. How have you grown over the almost 30 years of being a coach? Oh my goodness. I have grown so much. So many things you screw up and you look back and you're like, that was not a good decision. That was not a good decision. I would do this differently. I think that I take a lot of notes when I'm home about, Hey dummy, you could have done this a little differently. And Hey, make sure you tell this kid that my bad, I want to adjust that next time. So I think I've grown a lot. I do feel that the game, you have to keep up with the game. So I feel like I've been able to surround myself with wonderful coaches. I have no problem picking up the phone and calling a fellow coach, whether it's Chris Halfpenny at Notre Dame or Chris Saylor or Jen Adams, you know, giving a coach a, a call or saying, hey, what do you think, Amy Bacher, you know, bouncing things off of them over the years. And they're so gracious. And I'm surrounded by such talent that it's important to pull from them. I like to see what other coaches are doing and steal that. Um, I think that's the highest form of flattery, other sports, you know, watching other sports and going, oh my God, my son is a phenomenal coach. And I pick Ryan's brain about things that are working with his team and vice versa. So I think that I've always been, and my mom taught me that to be open to growth. That's really where you'll find success is if you're able to look back and say, ah, I screwed that one up royally. How can I be better? And I've just kind of gotten that from my mom. So I feel like that's part of why in my next chapter, I think I can help a lot of coaches out there, whether they're veteran or whether they're new. And I can be like, guys, 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 you don't want to do this, but you might want to consider this. And so I'm hopeful that I can bring that to them in the future. Yeah, good lesson for anybody in whatever they choose to do. <laughs> you keep keep sure. an open mind in, in whatever way. Yeah. For, from the other experts out there, you know, that's great 100%. advice. Um, yep. So what do you got to do this weekend? You know, you got a tough team in Duke here. They can score with the best of them. You know that. Oh, they are fabulous. Listen to me. The first thing we have to do is we have to get the darn ball. So that's a little bit of a situation because they got a kid that's you know, kind of good at that center draw thing. Um, so we're, we're working hard on that and trying to make some adjustments. We'll throw everything at number 14 plus the kitchen sink that we possibly can. Um, we're, we're in for a battle and we're ready. We're excited. I don't think that we're like, yay, we're here. This is fun. We're like, no, 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 no. This is where we're supposed to be. This is what we worked so hard for. All the things that we struggled with over the season or the tougher losses, you know, we're using all of that to try to help us be better for Friday. Um, I think that Duke is very much capable of scoring and they've got a good defense. You know, I think for us, we've got to get shots. We've got to get shots. That's something we learned from the Maryland game. We needed to shoot way more than what we did. So our, our work is cut out for us. So much respect 
for Coach Kirsten and her squad. I love playing against Duke. We haven't done it as often throughout my career, but I've, it's always been a great, classy battle. Um, you know, and that's what I'm looking forward to on Friday. Yeah, uh, I think it'd be a fun game. It'd be a fun matchup. And, and over there in Maryland should be a nice yeah. little trip for you too, right? That's oh, a nice little bonus. It really is. I'm so grateful. We get to sleep in our own beds where the kids are not having to adjust much with any of their exams. We're able to go right up the road on Friday, travel on game day. And, you know, we're, we're, we feel very grateful. And we cannot wait. We're grateful for your presence and in the presence of this sport for so long and to be continued after this. I'm sure we'll talk again soon, Janine, just in whatever capacity so. it might be, right? You got it. I'm always up for it. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time. Good luck this weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Always great to hear from Janine Tucker. I've gotten a chance to talk to her a few times the past couple months, Travis, and every time you can just feel, you know, the love of the game that she has and for her team and for that program, which she's been with for so long and now seeing it all come to a head here at the end of the NCAA tournament. Pretty cool, you know, to see her road and, and where, it's, where it's led and where it's going after that, too. Yeah, it's really crazy to think that between Janine Tucker and Chris Saylor, two uh, legends in the women's coaching profession or going to be done after this year. Those are two uh, big jobs that new people will step into, but uh, the, the two of them have made an incredible impact in the women's game. Yeah, absolutely they have. So that'll do it for our show for today. So make sure to tune back in. We are going back to two shows again this week. Thursday, we'll start making picks, right, Trav? I think that's the, that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go through the bracket, make our picks. Uh, we'll know the playing games by that point, who wins uh, here on Wednesday. So it should, should be a lot of fun. We'll let you know who we think is going to move on. Any upsets so far you're thinking about? Either Oof, bracket. I don't know. I feel like some of these, like, are they really upsets? Like, an unseeded team beating a seeded team? I, some of them I don't even know if I will, would consider an upset. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of evenly matched games out there, especially for that these first round games, which sometimes you don't see that as often. But I think after yeah. you get to the top two seeds, I think everybody else, it's like, who knows what's going to happen? No Penn. Watch Penn. I like Penn. Getting good. They're getting hot at the right time. Yeah. That's all, what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And that's what this show is all about. We're always hot, and it's always the right time. <laughs> so the right time will be Thursday. We'll be back. That's Travis. I'm Tom. See you next time, everyone.